please be seated. And as you take your seat, you can open with me and your copy of the Word of God to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to look at Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25 this morning. A very beautiful portrait Matthew draws of the birth, really the conception of the Lord Jesus and an explanation of His ministry, why the eternal Son of God became man, He came into the world. I want you to notice three things this morning, briefly, before we take uh, the Lord's Supper together. Number one, uh, this passage presents Jesus' conception, a miraculous conception in verses 18 through 20. And then secondly, this passage outlines Jesus' mission. Why did He come into the world? We see that in verses 21 through 23. And then thirdly and finally, we see Joseph's reaction to all of this in verses 24 and 25. And so that will be our outline for this morning. And let's ask God to bless our time of study together in His Word through prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Father, we wish to see Jesus and Him only. So we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring these ancient words to light, your words, and that, Lord, you would work inside of our hearts. Convert those who are lost and don't know you. Lord, we pray that you would grow and develop those who do. Either way, get all the glory for this time together, we pray earnestly now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, I want you to notice Jesus' conception. And we see that in verses 18 through 20. It was clearly a supernatural event. This passage presents a miracle. Joseph was engaged to his uh, beloved Mary. In Jewish circles, it took about a year. Whenever they were together, they were already considered somewhat husband and wife. They just hadn't consummated the marriage yet. And so prior to this, in verse 18, she was discovered to be pregnant. She had a child. Joseph, in verse 19, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly, planned to divorce her, which he had every right to do. Whenever a woman was found to be with child prior to an engagement or a marriage, there were grounds for dismissal on the part of the spouse. And he considered all of this, and an angel appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now you'll notice it's stated twice. Matthew says it in verse 18. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And then the angel spoke to Joseph in verse 20. The child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's as if the Lord our God is giving us His Word and underscoring the fact that Jesus 
is a miracle. The infinite God, the unchangeable God, would come, as the hymn said, not to abort the virgin's womb. He created all things. He exercised the sovereign power over all things according to His purposes and plans. And so for this God, who has no ending, no beginning, this God who is not measured by time, this God who can do all that He wants to do in a moment, either directly or indirectly through means, chose to humble Himself and come to earth as a man. What a beautiful picture to be born of a woman. Here we have the two natures of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is fully God and fully man. 100% both. And He confines Himself to the virgin's womb because He had to have a natural birth by a woman. He had to come into the world this way. A miracle. What is a miracle? Well, a miracle is not all that we often make it out to be. You know, you come home from school and think, I got an A on the test. It's a miracle, you know. <laughs> no, it's not a miracle. A miracle is when God suspends or interrupts or reverses natural law. That's what a miracle is. And it's only natural that a man and a woman would be together and the woman would get pregnant and have a child. That is the normal, natural way that it comes about. But here, both the angel and Matthew himself reveal to us that this is no ordinary birth. This is no ordinary conception. The Holy Spirit, we learn from the other Gospels, came upon Mary as Gabriel announced it, and she was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the natural, unregenerate person often limits God, saying, miracles don't exist. What happens is, too many people take their intellect and put it above sacred Scripture instead of submitting it to sacred Scripture. And whenever you do that, you put limitations on the Almighty. Because God is not bound by those. And you see, human arrogance and human pride is what allows some people to say there are no such things as miracles, because they elevate their intellect. You see, for the unbeliever, his or her world is confined to empirical evidence, what I can sense with my senses, what I can see and feel and touch and taste and so on. And so human beings raise themselves up. They're puffed up as if they were the judge of what God can and cannot do. For the unbeliever, his or her ability to judge empirical evidence is the litmus test as to what is true and what is false, what is real and what is imaginary, what is possible and what is impossible. Now, you see, that's very foolish to think like that. Why? Because there are many things in life, ladies and gentlemen, which are true and real and possible. But a lot of things we can't see. We can't see or smell or taste or touch or hear. Gravity, for instance. 
cannot sense gravity with one of your senses, any of your senses, but you know it's real. What about love? How do we define love? Well, we can define it in all sorts of ways, but the fundamental thing is we cannot see it, but we can see the impact of it when it's in somebody's life, when it's in a relationship. But you can't see love, the essence of it. Somebody told me one time, miracles don't exist. In fact, he said, God doesn't even exist. And I said to him, have you been to every corner of the universe to make that statement with certainty? Well, no. I said, don't make it. Until you've been to every corner of the universe, you have a theory, my friend. You don't have a fact. Because the God of sacred scripture, with him, anything is possible. And the Lord opens our eyes to realize that there are many things that we do not know. And the older we get, isn't that so? We realize more and more what we don't know. What we cannot see and touch. There's a whole world out there beyond the natural realm. And those who believe in Jesus began to sense that. Well, that is Jesus' birth. It was a miracle, the conception of Christ was a miracle. Now next, notice Jesus' mission, and I want to spend the bulk of the time here this morning, in verses 21 through 23. You know, Matthew is somewhat, I, I mean, excuse me, uh, Joseph is somewhat confused, I would imagine. I mean, picture yourself, if you were getting ready to get married, and your spouse was already pregnant, and you discovered this, it would be very upsetting. And so the Lord sent an angel, and the angel gave a description of what is taking place here. I want you to notice in verses 21 through 23 what the mission of Jesus Christ is. Number one is the salvation of God's elect children. The salvation of God's elect children in verse 21. And then secondly, the presence, the abiding presence of Almighty God throughout life. And that is in verses 22 and 23. So first of all, the salvation of God's elect children, verse 21. He will bear a son, the angel says, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is Yeshua. And what it means is the one who identifies with me in my need. Jesus' full humanity points to the fact that he would be tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. What is his mission? He will save his people from their sins. Jesus did not come primarily to be a great ethical teacher. He did not come to be a miracle worker. He came in order to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people. And I want you to mark that too. The text doesn't say to save a people or even to save a people, but he will save his people from their sins. The fact that God has chosen a people for himself is abundantly clear throughout the entire Bible. You know, we often talk about finding God. Well, the Bible makes it clear that God has to find us first. God takes the initiative with us before we move toward him. You can see this throughout Scripture. You can see it in God's choice of Abel over Cain. You can see it in his choice of Noah in the midst of all the people on the earth at his time. You can see it in his choice and dialogue with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
You can see it in his interaction with Joseph. Jacob over Esau. Jesus himself would choose 12 disciples, and he would choose Saul of Tarsus to be the instrument to reach the Gentiles. God, throughout Scripture, places his mark, his love, upon those whom he has chosen. And corporately, the Jews would become God's chosen people, and God chose the tribe of Judah from which the Messiah would come. And so with all the aforementioned in mind, we understand that Jesus came to save all of the elect of all time, both Jew and Gentile. And when someone is converted and brought into the kingdom of God, the Scriptures encourage us to acknowledge the fact that our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the earth. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. You see, Jesus Christ came to this earth to be an atoning sacrifice for sins. And when he died on the cross at Calvary, it was not for the possibility of salvation. It was as an atoning sacrifice in your place, in my place. That's what gives the power of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a message to be thrown out where people will say, well, I'll accept that or I'll reject that. We do that in time and space. But the gospel goes forward and it opens the heart and the eyes to the point where we say, Jesus didn't just die for sinners, he died for me. He died with my name on his chest. And when that bomb goes off inside of you, now you understand the power of the gospel. I thought I was a Christian for years because I walked an aisle during an invitation after a gospel presentation. But it wasn't until several years later in my high school and college years that this reality struck me. That Jesus Christ had died in my place and that the Holy Spirit opened up my eyes and my heart to embrace the sovereign Lord who had chosen me before the foundation of the world. It's true. It's true in my life and it's true in yours if you've embraced Jesus Christ. And I hope you have. And so Christ came for the salvation of God's elect children, but also to give us His abiding presence throughout life. Look at verses 23, or excuse me, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah in this case. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Matthew connects these events to the prophet Isaiah in our Old Testament reading today, Isaiah chapter 7. And Emmanuel means God with us. And we have a prophetic story in Isaiah that has a partial fulfillment and a final fulfillment. The partial fulfillment, if I can set the stage for you in Isaiah chapter 7, the Assyrian invasion is imminent against Israel. And God himself instructs Ahaz, the king, through Isaiah to ask for a sign, a sign of God's presence, a sign of God's deliverance and protection. And Ahaz refuses to ask God for a sign. And so God says, I'll give you a sign myself. The virgin shall be with a child, and you will 
call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And in the next chapter, we see the fulfillment, the partial fulfillment of that, as Isaiah has children through this young woman. And they are signs in Israel of God's protective care and his deliverance. You see, when you fast forward to the final fulfillment, Isaiah was told that he will have a son as a sign of God's presence. So also Joseph is told that he will have a son, and this special son will demonstrate God with us in the ultimate sense. Not just for protection for Israel, but for salvation and lifelong protection for every child of God, Jew or Gentile. He is always with his people regardless of their circumstances. Let me challenge you with that this morning. Not only did Jesus Christ come to earth to deliver you from hell and see you safely to heaven by His atoning sacrifice, but He always lives to make intercession for you. And His presence is always with you, with every believer. And that gives comfort and security and hope. No wonder the Lord Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, whenever we think about the babe in the manger, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to think it all the way through. We must take care to receive the full message of Jesus' birth because that always includes His perfect life. Sinless. His suffering and crucifixion. His atonement for our sins. He bore in His body the penalty for your sins and mine when He died on the cross. Don't ever believe that the physical pain of the cross was the worst thing. The separation from God the Father, which the Son of God experienced for a few moments or minutes in that time period, was the worst experience anyone could ever go through. And He was separated from the Father because the Father turned away as the Son of God paid the penalty for human sin. All of His wrath, which was owed to you and me, was poured out on the Son, on Calvary, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have the righteousness that God demands and that only Christ can provide for us. We must always think not only of His birth, but His life, His crucifixion, His resurrection, and the fact that He has ascended back to heaven. And He lives to make intercession for us. And that's why Isaiah 9 prophetically calls Jesus Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Do you have that peace in your life? Do you know your God? Because you've embraced the Lord Jesus as your Savior. I pray that you do on this fourth Sunday of Advent if you've never embraced Him at all. Well, that is Jesus' mission to come and to save the elect children of God and to give us His abiding presence throughout life that we might experience peace now and eternal life with Him forever. But notice thirdly and finally Joseph's reaction. And we have that in verses 24 and 25. What is Joseph's reaction to all this? He doesn't say a word. Interesting. Joseph is called the quiet saint in many places. But his reaction is one of belief and obedience. Belief and obedience. He took Mary home as his wife. He had no relations with her until after she gave birth, and he named the baby Jesus. 
What a beautiful picture. You see, whenever the Lord touches your heart and reveals truth to you, we act on it. You have to act on it. And I would think about how things would have gone very differently if Joseph had demanded his rights or insisted on having his own way. And I put myself in Joseph's shoes this past week, and I wonder, how would I have responded? I'm not going to be forced to marry a woman who's pregnant with a child of somebody else. I'm not going to marry and then refrain from sexual relations. I'm not going to get married and father a child of another and be told what name the child will have and support and take care of that child. See, the heart of man is implacably opposed to God. But whenever the Lord makes himself and his revelation clear, we don't need to object. And we don't object. Because our hearts become tender and submissive to his will. And that's what you see here. There is no argument. There is no asserting rights. He simply does exactly what the Lord wants. And he becomes divinely appointed to take care of this young family and to protect them, just as Mary was divinely appointed to bear the baby Jesus. And as we read the story of the birth of Jesus, we find that Joseph was just and righteous and merciful and protective and courageous, but most of all, he was obedient. He was obedient to God's Word. From a divine perspective, Jesus' birth was a supernatural event. From a human perspective, it was a major interruption to this man's life, Joseph. But the Lord made it clear, this is my will. Maybe the Lord will interrupt your life this year. You know, the Lord has a way of working through interruptions. God interrupted Noah's life and said, I want you to build me an ark. God interrupted Abraham's life and said, I want you to leave your family and all that you know and go to a land that I will provide for you. God interrupted Job's life as things were going so well and he lost his family, he lost his health, he lost all of his property because God had plans for him. Daniel had to live in exile. Jeremiah had to preach 40 years and never have a convert. Saul of Tarsus, he was going to kill and incarcerate Christians when God Almighty interrupted his day and his life, and he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this morning, has God interrupted your life? <laughs> the gospel is a major interruption. Because we stop in our tracks and we realize that a holy and a sovereign God loved me so much that he would send his only sinless son to die in my place. Have I embraced him as my Lord and Savior? We Christians claim to worship a supernatural God, one who works miracles with ease. However, we often get upset when things don't go the way we want them to go, or when our plans don't work out. What is God asking of you today? Are you willing to commit, devote yourself to His will? You can learn much about the obedience of Joseph. His response is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. As Paul said in our uh, New Testament reading, Romans 1, the obedience that comes through faith. Faith says, I will trust you, Lord Jesus. I believe you're real. Come into my life and begin to change me from the inside out. And forgive me of my sins. You pray that prayer. 
Watch what happens. Watch what happens. The proof of our belief in the Lord Jesus is our obedience. As the writer, the Apostle John said in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God will abide on him. Belief and obedience, in many respects, are synonymous. If we believe, we obey. We're going to sing a hymn in a moment. What child is this? I pray that through that hymn and through the Word, you might ask yourself, what child is this? And is this child, this eternal Son of God, living inside of me? as my Lord and Savior. If not, I invite you to ask Him to come into your life and come into your heart and save you from your sins. The bulletin says 113, but it's actually hymn number 213. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing verses 1 and 2. Let's stand.